It's now time for Just the Terror with Nick Guerra. In the area. This is probably the creepiest, most unexplainable thing that has ever happened to me. I used to work overnight as a security guard at a local port. Usually none of the port workers would stay overnight except for the safety official. I wouldn't be on the shift alone since the site has a radius of nearly two miles. Overnight, usually there would be three guards, including me. Since this area was fairly big, there were different posts, but front gate was the main entrance area where all of the guards would be stationed overnight since there was no need to put them in other posts due to the fact that there was no activity in the site at this time. The veteran guards that had been there for years would often say that the site was haunted given the fact that there had been accidents and deaths that occurred in the area a long time ago. I was aware that people died there due to freak accidents, and I do believe in angels and demons since I'm actually a religious person, but I always thought that the superiors were just messing with the new guys. I would work five to six nights out a week, and for the first few weeks, I never really saw or heard anything out of the ordinary, except for maybe a few questionable creaks, and would see a few misplaced objects while doing my patrol rounds, but nothing too crazy. Just to describe the setting to you, this is a fairly big site, and on occasions, when there were big projects being constructed at the port, the workers would sometimes stay overnight. Due to the fact that there were times where port workers were required to stay at the port for a few days, there's a gym on the site for their convenience. This gym is fairly old. In the gym, there's a sauna, weights, and even a racquetball court. If you don't know what racquetball court is, it's similar to an indoor tennis court with thin plastered walls and thick glass doors. Usually on our patrol rounds, me and one of the other guards, Mike, would stop by the gym and play a few rounds of racquetball before returning back to the front gate. On one of those nights, Mike and I decided to hit a full workout instead of playing racquetball in the cage. This is around 2.30 a.m. and the entire building is so quiet that you can hear the electricity running through the lights. The air conditioner is off and so is everything else. The only thing that's running are the lights. 15 to 20 minutes into the workout, we hear a loud thump. We cross it off as nothing and continued working out. Then after a few more minutes, we heard the loud thump once more. At first we thought it was our lieutenant, which could have been walking around, but then we radioed him and he gave us his location, which was front gate. We tried thinking logically on what could be making those thumps on the wall. They were coming from the court on the other side. We thought it was the air conditioner, but then we remembered that it was off. And even when it's switched on during the day, there's no reports of thumps coming from the air conditioner. After a few more minutes, the thumps started occurring one right after the other. We were very creeped out at this point. What we were about to witness still scares the absolute hell out of me to this day. We started to approach the other side of the gym to where the glass door was. We turned on the flashlight and aimed it towards the clear glass door and I got chills all over my body. I started tearing so much out of fear that I was about to cry. We saw one of the balls rolling slowly by itself inside the court, but there was no one in there. So that means the loud thumps were the balls mysteriously being tossed against the wall as if someone or something was playing inside the cage. We were both so confused and frightened to how this was really happening, we couldn't make any sense of it. We were scared shitless and we started yelling and running away because we knew there was probably something evil toying with us right there. As we sprinted full speed back to the front gate, the lieutenant saw us and asked why we were tearing and running in a ridiculous manner. We told him what we witnessed and his facial expression scared us even more. He then said, that's why there's always guards that quit often, 
There's something evil in that area. And it's not the first time that something that bad has happened here. He then showed us security footage of dark figures and shadows literally passing through the office areas and lights mysteriously switching on and off. Till this day, I still get chills recounting my experience with my friends and family, and I'm even getting chills right now. I have never had a real encounter with the supernatural until that night. Many say that it was a demonic presence messing around. Others say it was a ghost of a dead person who died in the area. I don't know what it was, but I didn't last long in that job after that. Connection to Pass Before I had kids, I worked in a residential care facility for psychiatric patients. Our residents were a mix of ages from 16 and 92, and I worked overnights. In addition to dispensing meds, doing rounds, and catching up the day's documentation, I was also responsible for things like doing laundry and cleaning the facility. One night, I'm in the facility's common room, mopping the floor. It was like 2 or 3 a.m., long past the time all our residents were supposed to be asleep. All of a sudden, I hear an old lady calling my name. I look up, expecting to see one of my favorite residents, who was a bit of an insomniac in her old age. What I instead saw was an elderly stranger in a Victorian nightie and a bonnet-style sleeping cap. She smiled down at me with every indication she recognized me and asked how I was. I blinked and sort of shook my head a couple of times, and she was still there. I asked who she was. Her face fell a bit. I took a step back, closed my eyes, took a deep breath, trying to figure out what was going on. When I opened my eyes again, she was gone. There was no way for her to leave the hallway without opening a door or going past me, and neither of those things happened. I chalked it up to some sort of exhaustion-induced hallucination and carried on with my shift. A few days later, I was chatting with my grandma, and she asked if I knew that our family had a connection to the building I worked in. Apparently, my great-grandmother's aunt, or great-aunt, I can't remember which, had lived there with her grandchildren and had almost certainly died in that home, given that's where most people did their dying in the past. I mentioned my experience to her, and she spent a few weeks hunting up a photo of the family, and sure enough, the old lady was the one I'd seen at work. the doctor away. My uncle was a doctor in a small town in South India. One night after closing his clinic, he was asleep at home. There was a knock on his door. His grandmother opened the door. There was a stranger asking, in the local tongue, for the doctor to help his wife who was pregnant and was in urgent need of medical care. The grandmother said that the doctor is resting and the police come back in the morning. However, the stranger was very insistent. In hearing all the commotion at the front door, my uncle woke up. Upon hearing the situation from the stranger, my uncle agreed to help him. He packed any medical equipment he thought would be appropriate and left with the stranger to assist him. All the routes to the man's house were pitch black, so my uncle still hadn't seen the stranger clearly. The stranger kept on telling him how sorry he was to disturb him so late at night and that his wife was truly in need of medical attention. Along the way, the stranger turned towards a graveyard, which made my uncle halt and ask for reassurance about where they were going. Stranger responded that his home was behind the graveyard and thus intersecting it would be the shortest route towards it. My uncle agreed to follow him. Walking through the graveyard, they walked close to a lamppost and some better lighting. At this point, my uncle tried to get a glimpse of the stranger's face, but 
still couldn't see it. All he could see was clothes hanging in the air. He hid his shock and came up with an excuse to get out of there. My uncle told the stranger that he had forgotten some key equipment and needed to go back home to get it. However, the stranger insisted that it isn't required and just to let it be. My uncle insisted that the equipment was very important and that he would even leave his current equipment behind if the stranger didn't believe him that he would come back. Leaving his bag behind, he ran home, hoping that the stranger thought that he was hurrying to get the equipment rather than to escape. Once home, my uncle told his grandmother everything that happened. Both of them stayed vigilant throughout the night. Eventually, he managed to get some shut-eye. In the morning, still shocked by the events of the previous night, my uncle went to work as usual and handled his everyday business so as to forget about what had happened. During the day, the local mayor slash chancellor had come to my uncle's clinic to get his son checked up. During some small talk, my uncle mentioned how the local government could do more to install more streetlights so as to improve visibility at night. He cited yesterday's instance as an example without getting into details, basically suggesting that he couldn't see anything while following a potential patient. The mayor seemed intrigued by the example, so he asked my uncle to explain further. My uncle gave him more details, leaving out the detail about the floating stranger. Things like this can be perceived as a sign of madness in Indian culture. The mayor seemed interested, yet also unsurprised. He told my uncle to drop by his office after work. Still scarred by the event of the last night, and now worried about what revelations lay with the mayor, my uncle closed the clinic earlier than usual and went to the mayor's office. The mayor asked for a clearer and more frank assessment of the previous night's events. Once my uncle revealed the complete truth, the mayor pulled out three files of other doctors from his desk. My uncle thought they were prospective doctors that may be invited to the small town. However, the mayor said that these three doctors had been missing previously in similar circumstances that had been experienced by my uncle. They had also been lured to a medical emergency late at night never to be seen again. My wife and son. I'm a nurse and I currently work nights. I was working one night when just after 3 a.m. my son's monitor alerted me to sound and movement. No big deal at all. He probably coughed loudly or sneezed or something. He's three now, so he generally sleeps all night. I bring it up on my phone and I see him and my wife sitting on the bed. Again, no big deal. He might have cried out or gotten scared or something. I was about to close the app when I noticed they were acting strange. They were sitting on the bed together, both of them, just staring up at the camera with blank, emotionless stares. The night vision is black and white so they had white, eerie looking eyes. They didn't move at all aside from their visible breathing, they just sat there, staring at the camera. I close the app and give my wife a call to make sure everything is okay. I never get to call home on lunch, so in a way, this is kind of nice to get to talk to my family while at work. It rings a couple of times before she answers with a very groggy, hello? It was like she was dead asleep when I called, and she looked wide awake when on camera. Hey, you guys okay? Huh? Yeah. Buddy came in like 15 minutes ago, seemed scared, so I said he could sleep with mama. I'm confused. Since I saw them in his room a minute ago, literally 60 seconds had passed since I closed the app and made the call. Wait, so you guys are in bed? Yeah, 
I, I fell back asleep right away. Everything okay? Everybody keeps waking me up. She's kind of annoyed. Hang on a sec. I put her on speaker and bring up the app, hoping I don't see it. When the app loads, I get that pang of intense nervousness in my stomach that I haven't had in a long time. Since I was a kid in school and realized while I was eating breakfast, a paper or something was due that day and I hadn't done it. My heart leaps into my throat. My wife and son are sitting on his bed looking up at the camera, same emotionless stares. Hello? Uh, you guys are in bed, right? Yeah, we're trying to sleep. Well, I'm looking at his camera and I see you two sitting on his bed. Huh? No, no, we're, we're in our bed. No, I mean, what I mean is I'm looking at his bed and you two are in there. Hang on, she says. She's quiet for a sec while she brings up the camera on her phone. I hear this guttural, terrified gasp like she had sucked all the air in the room into her lungs, filling them to capacity. I don't hear this kind of gasp from my wife too often, usually only when she's truly afraid like during a jump scare in a movie, or one time when we turned her back on our son for literally a second and he was down by the mailbox inches from the road. I hear rustling of sheets and the line goes dead. Of course now, I'm absolutely terrified myself, so I immediately call back. It goes to voicemail, so I call again. I call again and again with no answer. Finally, after about four minutes, she calls me. I tell you, that four minutes felt like 40 years. Hey, what's happening? I ask. She's absolutely hysterical and crying. I can't understand a word she says. Stop, slow down just for a second, I say. She slows down enough to explain they are in the car and driving to her parents. She looked at the camera and when she saw what was on it, she got up and grabbed our son and rushed downstairs and out the door. Didn't even close the garage. Now, don't worry about it, I said. I'll drive by when I get off and, and close it. We live in a generally safe neighborhood, so I'm not too concerned the door is up. You will not go in there, my wife said. Hell no, I returned. What? Why are we on the camera, she asked. Is it a recording? I don't know, I returned. I'm going to keep watching it and see if there's anything I can tell. Do our code words with Buddy. We have code words because we're nerds. We've seen too many pod people and imposter movies, so we decided a long time ago to make code words with each other to be able to tell if one of us was an imposter. We have a couple of code words, but we also have a three-sentence story we recite together, each saying a different part alternately of each other. I hear her on the phone saying the things we taught our son. He giggles as he says them. He does every time we practice, since he thinks they're a joke and doesn't have any idea of the real meaning. We're both convinced he's our son. My wife then says our part, not convinced she's her. We made up these words as a complete joke to ourselves. I never once in my life ever imagined we'd actually need them. Unreal. She got to her parents safely, and it was hard to hang up. I told her we'll have to figure out in the morning. Hopefully it's just a glitch. She said she didn't think it was a glitch. While she was running out, she had to run by our son's room and the door was open. There's a little flashing light on the back of the camera that indicates it's connected to the internet. It gives off just enough light that when she ran by, she thought she saw, out of the corner of her eye, a shadowy outline of what could have been an adult sitting on her son's bed. It sent chills down my spine to think about. Knowing they were safe and out of the house is the only thing that kept me at work that night. It was a long four hours, but I kept checking the camera every chance I got. Sure enough, they were still sitting on the bed 
staring up at the camera with an emotionless gaze. I studied them to see if I could see any pattern, from their breathing to their blinking. Their breathing was steady and looked normal. It was their blinking that would tell me if it was just some kind of bizarre, time-looped freak accident video or not. I intently stare at my phone and count the seconds between each blink, telling myself if this is loop, then their blink should be even and occur at the same time each time. There was no pattern to their blinking. It was erratic and random, just as a person blinking should be. The passing hours are what finally sealed the deal that this was not a weird looped video of some kind. My son's window is visible on camera, and I can see on camera that it is getting lighter outside his room. His curtains keep out just enough light to prevent the camera from exiting night vision, but lets in just enough to be able to tell the sun is rising. I try to figure out what the hell I'm going to do before I leave work. Calling the police comes to mind, but I talk myself out of it. First of all, what am I supposed to say? Someone is in my house that looks like my wife but isn't? Worse yet, what if they are entities of some kind and the police do go over and it kills them or something? I decided to tell a coworker about it. He's a firm believer in the paranormal and might have a suggestion. I show him the video and tell him the story. His initial response of, that's creepy, didn't help much, but he says he wants to go over and check it out. He says we both should try to see if not my wife will try and act like my wife. I tell him absolutely not, and he says we should at least go to the house even if we don't go in. I agree on that since I wanted to close a garage. We got to my house and walked around the perimeter first, not sure what we wanted to accomplish by that, but it felt like something we should do. The curtains were all drawn since nobody was there to open them in the morning, so we couldn't see anything. I went to close the garage and suddenly had this overwhelming urge to go inside and investigate. It was like I just had to know what was going on. So in we went. We walked through the kitchen towards the foyer where the stairs are. It's so quiet in our house right now you could hear a feather drop. Forget the pin. We stopped at the bottom of the stairs and wait a few seconds. I look at the camera again and they are still sitting there. I've never been so scared in my life. My coworker puts his foot on the first step and I suddenly say stop, loudly. Forget this, we're out of here, I tell him. Come on, I start making my way back to the kitchen. We hear a loud creak in the floor from upstairs. It's my son's room. He has a very loud creaky board right in the middle of his floor that's almost impossible not to step on. My wife and I are still deciding if we ever want to fix it because it will alert us if he's ever up to no good when he gets older trying to sneak out or something. Come on, come on, come on, I yell as I motion for my coworker to move his ass. We're out of the house in about two seconds. Out on the street, I check my phone. Not only not my son was sitting on the bed, same blank stare, not my wife was gone. Holy shit, my coworker says. That, that was stupid of us. Do not tell my wife we went inside, I told him. I use my garage door opener and my car to close the door. Before we leave, I look at the camera again. Not my wife is back on the bed with not my son, both staring blankly up at the camera, blinking every few seconds. That was all about four days ago now. Not my wife and not my son are still sitting on the bed staring up at the camera. They haven't moved a millimeter. Happy trails to you. Hey everyone. So I know this is going to sound nuts, but recently some friends and I went hiking and stumbled across something weird, and I was wondering if anyone had any advice. I mean, 
It could just be a prank, but it also sort of sounds like someone's in trouble, and I don't know if I should call someone, but who would I call? I, I don't know. Let me explain and you guys can tell me what you think. Last weekend, a couple of friends and I were hiking in the woods. We're pretty solid outdoors people, and we had gone ahead and strayed from the beaten path. I know, I know, this sounds really stereotypical so far, but bear with me, okay? I swear, this is 100% true. Also, we had GPS, so it wasn't a big deal. Let me tell you about the area we were hiking in. It's a relatively flat area, not a huge attraction to campers or hikers, in part because there's only one completely straight path through it. No real scenery. It's just outside of Medford, Oregon. Editors note, we live in Los Angeles. It's not well maintained either, but it's not really a park. Just a piece of land that's been overlooked for a long time. You go into the woods, and you come out the other side, and that's it. Maybe calling it woods is a bit much, but honestly, the whole forest is probably only between 16 to 20 acres. Enough to explore, but not enough to really get lost in. Little developments are all around it too. I don't know why the city hasn't developed this particular piece of land. Maybe because the ground is so rocky? The trees are ancient, with scarred bark and huge canopies of leaves that make it so that it's always shady, but the floor of the woods is all rock and dead stuff. Branches, leaves, and maybe once in a while a single wilting tuft of grass. We were just passing through the area, coming home from a way bigger camping trip up in Washington and traveling south on 99, but we thought it would be fun to explore the local areas. A guy at a gas station had mentioned this particular little area and given us directions to get there. Since he had dreads and forgot to charge us for the clip bars we were buying, we decided to try it. Now that you know how boring and small it actually was, you can imagine why we were wandering off the path and looking for adventure. The temperature up in Medford in March hovers just above freezing in the day, so we were looking for a wide enough clearing to pitch our tents and build a fire before the sun set and the temperature dropped. The woods were old growth, really dense, so dense that you can easily lose each other if you wander even more than a few yards. Plus the canopy above us made it seem darker, since we were always in the shade. We'd already ended up playing Marco Polo more than a few times, and with night falling we were eager to settle down around a fire. Looking back on it, the woods seemed unusually quiet, as if all the birds and squirrels had already gone to sleep for the night, even though the sun was barely touching the horizon. We were quiet too, hungry and tired and getting a little discouraged, but maybe I'm just remembering it like that because of what we found. It started with one of my friends, John, yelling, Guys, guys, you have to come see this, hurry! We all ran towards his voice. I was thinking that he either found the perfect camping spot or maybe one of those weird, rare finds like a dead buck with his antlers still intact or someone's old lean-to. What he found was weirder. I crashed through a dead thorny bush and found him. He was standing there, staring at it, in the middle of the woods, a mailbox, just sitting there, in the woods. I know it doesn't sound dramatic, but you have to understand this was about a six-hour hike away from the trail in the middle of the woods, and the mailbox was the kind you see at the end of someone's driveway, just hanging out, black, metal rusted beyond belief, its little red flag still pointing up, a cobweb crowning it like a wispy little flag. Tarnished metal numbers on the side of the box said 2676. And even weirder, there was a ring of stones around the post of the mailbox and a circle of cement. Leaves had blown into it, 
but you could still see the old cracked cement that had been poured into the stone circle. It wouldn't have looked out of place at all at the end of a driveway, maybe just outside of a picket fence. But this is in the middle of the woods. Who the hell would have been able to drag a bag of cement, a bag of rocks, a heavy wooden post, and a numbered mailbox into the woods, put it all together, and just leave it there? What's the point of that? Did you open it? That was my first question. John shook his head and gave the little door a yank, but it was rusted shut. He played with the little red flag, whose squeak echoed through the darkening woods every time he moved it up and down. The cobweb got on his hand and he shook it off. Then, with newfound determination, John slung off his pack and grabbed the door again. He put his foot against the post and yanked. This time, he managed to open it. What's in there? We all asked in unison. I was hoping for a bottle of whiskey or maybe at least something interesting, like a bag of old fool's gold or a weird memorial to someone. But what was in there was way weirder. Letters. Just letters. In a mailbox in the middle of nowhere. And I don't mean notes that campers had left. They were real white letters, yellowed with age, with an address and a return address and even stamps in the corner. One of the envelopes was blue and addressed to the local electric company. There were a total of nine. Naturally, we had to read them. We set up our tents right next to the mailbox even though there was barely room among the trees. We agreed to set up camp before we opened the letters. By the time we got around to it, the sun had set and it was dark. We gathered up to the fire, wrapped in our sleeping bags, and began to open the letters. And what we found established an identity, a life, a person. It seemed way too real to be a prank is what I'm saying. There was an honest to God check in the electric company letter along with a stub of a bill for the amount of $42.38. There was a $5 note in a birthday card to Brandon and the card had a cartoon dog on it that said, you're the best grandson. And there was a pointlessly long and slightly boring letter to Representative Wes Cooley in which it stated that he'd lost a vote after some scandal about Korea. As a vet myself, I don't appreciate having my service trivialized, and neither would my neighbors or the rest of the proud Americans here in the state of Oregon. And what's more, the check, the letters, all of them were dated 1996. The electric letter and the birthday card had gone out in early May, and the letter to Representative Cooley had gone out the very next day. After that, there was a lull, followed by the following six letters. Every single one had the same return address. Mr. Max Henderson, 2676, Osprey Woods Private Drive, Medford, Oregon, 97504. I'll transcribe the most relevant parts here, not in the order in which we opened them, but in the order they were dated. I'm sorry in advance for the racist parts, but I'm just writing down what they said. The last letter in the bunch had the word URGENT scrawled across the envelope in red. Here are the letters. May 18th, 1996. To whom it may concern. I have lived at 2676 Osprey Woods Private Drive for 23 years now. And you folks have always done a fine job of taking care of my little road. I'm very pleased with where my tax dollars have been going, locally anyway. But this year, I think your boys missed a spot. When I was posting a letter to my grandson earlier last week, I noticed a bunch of weeds growing up around my box and even coming out around the gravel. Now, I know that you don't do weeds, but you've always maintained the side of the road, 
And when I say weeds, I don't mean all that tall grass or the wildflowers, but a real mess. Shoot, there's even a little maple growing up just a couple of feet away. I'm an old man, and I live alone, and cannot fix this sort of thing as easily as when I was younger. So I was hoping you might be able to do something. If the woods are creeping up on my box, then sure as shooting, they're creeping up on your road. I guess the rain this year must be helping them along because you'll see an ivy-looking vine getting over on my box and it's reaching out onto the road too. I tried to pull it off, but those climbing things put up a real fight. I hope you understand it takes a lot for me to admit that I'm not as young or as strong as I used to be, and I wouldn't ask it of you unless I thought it was a real problem. Thank you for your service. Cordially, Max Henderson. May 20th, 1996. Dear Henry, Well, sir, I got your letter but haven't yet gotten around to replying. Hopefully by the time you get this, Ethel will be feeling better. If I know Ethel, she's probably already out dancing now and bugging you about that water heater of yours. It's too bad about that Made in China crap they've got in all the stores now. Remember when you picked up something at store and it said Made in China and you'd put it back and get the ones with the flag on them? Now it's just cheap chow mein junk at every damn Walmart you look into. Me? I haven't been out recently. Guess I'm getting old, Henry. Because I tell you, these days walking down in the mailbox takes me a lot longer. When Beth and I first moved in, I could sprint around the bend and get there and back in less than 10 minutes. But two days ago, it took me damn near an hour. And you ought to see the way the mailbox looks. I sure do wish Jake hadn't gone out to Michigan, but you know, from Melinda's ass, I would have too. I posted a letter to the Department of County Roads, and I reckon they might be able to help me out a bit, though, at least where my drive meets the road. The weeds grow up where the gravel meets my drive, and it's starting to look real wild, but I'm not giving yet. I might just go out there and spread some salt or something to control the growth, or get some of that roundup if the weather warms up a bit. Now, you know I'm only saying all this to you because you know how it is when you have to start asking for help with your own house and every piss and vinegar kid thinks he knows better than you. I haven't neglected this drive in 23 years and I hate to see it get this way. Maybe Ethel can make some suggestions about weed control. I know she plants those red flowers every year over on the curb. Well, better get going. I don't want you to waste these golden years reading my life story. Say hi to Hank for me and let him know that Brandon's turning 5 on Friday. Cordially, Max. May 24th, 1996. Dear Henry, Well, I don't know when you'll be getting this letter because nothing I've posted all week has gone out. My mailman is a chink, and I bet he's on vacation or something. I wish they would have told me because if the bills get in late, I sure as hell won't pay the fees for it. I haven't had a late bill in 23 years, and I don't plan to have one now. Now, I don't mean to bug you, but you're my truest friend, and we saw a lot of things together in 52. So I need your advice. And please be honest with me. Don't spare my feelings about this. I'm not fooling around. Remember that problem I mentioned to you in my last letter about my weeds and my driveway? Well, it's a hell of a lot worse than I expected. The weeds have grown up really bad. Not just the weeds, but real dense bushes, blackberries, and saplings, a line of them between the drive and the road. I nearly broke a hip checking the box this morning because I had to step over them, and the drive is all covered in weeds. I don't know how they grew up so fast, but if the Department of County of Roads doesn't hurry, I won't have a drive anymore. But that's not the thing I want to tell you about. I'm just stalling because I worry. My mind's going. And I don't want to end up like Ella did at, at a home with a bunch of snot-nosed kids wiping my ass for me. Well, here it goes. 
my driveway is getting longer. I don't mean that I feel like it's longer. I mean, it really is longer. Maybe the county came around and did some work on it and I didn't notice. And all that turned up soil is why the weeds are growing so fast. But see, when I checked the mail a few days ago, I told you I'd seem longer to get there. Well, my drive curves around and you can't see the box from the house. So I decided to see how long it took and I'm not imagining it. It takes a long time, longer than it did last week even. So then I thought I'd measure it around with my tape measure. Why not? I haven't gotten much else to do since I retired and I went and I got it from the shed and today my driveway was a good quarter mile long. You might say it curves and I measured wrong with a straight tape, but I'm pretty handy with tools. And Henry, you know damn well I wouldn't mismeasure an entire quarter mile. Now the other possibility is that there's a couple of deer trails and curves and maybe I made a wrong turn on my own drive and took a path and thought it was my drive, but I don't think I'm that old yet. I lived here over two decades and I've never made that mistake since the very first year I moved in. If you follow the curve, you get to the road, no discussion. And I know I did follow that curve. So what do you think, Henry? Am I losing my marbles? Roads don't grow until your taxes go up and I don't think I mismeasured or got lost on my own property. But hell, maybe I did. You ever heard of anything like that? Gorgely, Max Henderson. May 30th, 1996. Addressed only to pranksters. To whomever moved my box, please put it back. I was young once too and I sure did a lot of dumb things, but this is going too far. I don't know how you did it, but making an old man wander around in the woods on his own property is sick, and what's more, it's illegal. I can sue you for trespassing as well as harassment and tampering with my possessions. And I will thank you to kindly stop bothering me and put my mailbox back on the road so I can pay my bills and receive my mail. I could have fallen and then you would have been charged with manslaughter too. You've had your fun and done a very good job fixing the road and the box into the woods like this, but playtime is over. Please respect an old veteran and return my mailbox and I will forget about this very juvenile prank. Max Henderson. June 2nd, 1996. Dear Jacob, Son, I don't know if you'll get this, but it's time for me to leave the home. I know I'm, I've said never ever, not until I'm cold and stiff, but I don't think I'm well, and who knows? Maybe I can get a pretty nurse? Joking aside, please come immediately if you get this. I'm in terrible danger for myself. The last couple of weeks when I leave the house, the world seems very confusing. My driveway has gotten longer, and it curves more and more. And yesterday, when I went out, it curved all around like a circle, and I came back on home. Today, I even went out in the woods to find the road, and I swear it's gone. And I was lucky because the mailbox is still there, but it's in the curve now, not at the end. I think I'm going crazy. Maybe because of those drugs I smoked in the 70s, but everyone did some foolish things back then. Am I really losing my mind? My house and my mailbox are opposite to each other and my drive is a big dirt circle in the middle of the woods and I can't find the road. I fired up the old Geo and drove around and I swear it son, the road's gone and I feel like a mouse in a maze, but the maze is just a circle with no way out. It's completely closed and doesn't connect to the road anymore. Maybe the roads disappear or maybe I have, but wherever I am, I'm not where I was before and I, I think I'm trapped here. None of my letters get sent, but if I'm crazy, maybe they do. And maybe I'm having some sort of crazy flashback and I'm going to think I'm in Korea tomorrow. 
Anyway, I think you get the gist of it. I need you to come on over now, and we'll set this thing straight together. Maybe I have one of those brain tumors or had a stroke. I, I don't know. I don't even care to know. I just want my drive to go back to a curve, not a circle. No more woods, a good view from the road, and mail that comes every day. I haven't gotten a thing in the mail for over a month. Maybe I did and don't remember. I, I sure don't think I have, though. Try not to sound like a crazy old fool, but I must be because how's a road just going to be a circle and get like that in a couple of weeks is the damn stupidest thing I ever thought up. Love, Dad. June 5th, 1996. Dear Henry, this is the last letter you might ever get from me. I've been trapped in my house for weeks and weeks now without communication from the outside world. I don't have any food left. I ate the last of it yesterday around 4 and as I write this it's noon and I can hear my stomach growling. Well sir, looks like you beat me, just like you always said you would. I hope that if you find this letter before they find me, you have pity on me and check up and make sure I have not lost my dignity. I don't want them to find me looking like some crazy old man with my pants down around my ankles or anything. Please make sure Jake doesn't have to see nothing like that. I want to tell you about my last days on this earth. I think I've really lost it. Well, you know how it is. They say your mind is the first to go. All those weeds grew up on the box and then over the driveway and it kept getting longer. But I figured, well, my knees are getting older, and by the time I noticed, it was too late. The driveway started ending at the box, and there was no road, just the woods. And they got thicker, and you couldn't see the road. And by the time I tried to walk out, I realized I was trapped. It happened that quick, Henry. Then the bend got sharper, longer, but I never saw it lengthen. It was just longer every time, and soon you could go all the way around like it was a circle. I tried it all, Hen. I might be nutty, but I fought the good fight. I shouted, I climbed up on the roof, and just woods as far as you can see. I even went out at my age and I found a stream and followed up and guess what? That was a circle too. It's like being trapped at the bottom of a bowl. I can't get out. I'm going to starve. I might get desperate and make a break for it, but I've already tried that and no matter where I walk, I keep coming across my own driveway. And I tried using compasses, tried following the sun, tried the stream. I must be out of my mind, Hen, because this isn't right. But I made my peace with God, and I guess that this is it. Who knows? Maybe I'm sane after all, and these woods are going to eat my house and my drive, too, and they'll never find us again. But I sure do hope so. And I'm posting this as my very last attempt. Please, if you get it, please send help. Come get me. This is not a joke. But I've been waiting and the letters just sit. Maybe you'll never find them. Well, Henry, maybe someday you will. All of my love to Jake, Melinda, and Brandon. It was an honor to serve with you, sir, and send Ethel my love too, as well as Rachel, Dorothy, Hank, Jenny, Louie, and Sammy. The will I drew up last year with Jake is the one I want you to use. And please, no fighting, but one thing, Call me a superstitious old crackpot, but no one gets the house. Not now, not the property either. You can go to the state, or the county, or even the Chinese for all I care. But my family ought to stay in Michigan and live good, long, happy Christian lives and never fall into this circle, this goddamn never-ending circle that keeps on taking me back. And please take care of them for as long as you live. Well, sir, 
That's about all I have to say, and may God have mercy on your soul. And my soul. I sure do hope you find this, but I won't post anymore, because these woods are playing tricks on me, and the letters just sit there anyway. At peace, and maybe with Beth now. Max Henderson. When we were done reading them, we just sat there. It was cold, yeah, but it could have been August and we still would have had those goosebumps. This seemed so real. We joked and laughed a little quietly, but ended up going into our tents and passing out after a while. It was just way too intense. The next morning we figured it was a joke, but for shits and giggles went looking for Old Man Henderson's place, as we called it. Obviously, we didn't find it. We just wandered around all day. Then we went back to try to find the mailbox, but we couldn't. And we know how to use compasses, you know. Our GPS wasn't working because John forgot to charge his batteries. When we stumbled back onto the trail, an overgrown packed dirt path, I swear, it curved. And the guy at the guest station said it went straight the whole way. Someone made a crack about us finding the spooky circle path and we all laughed. But oh my god, I was glad when the path straightened and we got out of the woods and back into the car. I still have the letters. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have even bothered typing this all out because the whole thing is so unbelievable and I never thought to take a picture of the mailbox. I know, I know, I should have. I mean, maybe it's just a prank. But the letters are all real, dated, handwritten, aged, faded. What about the check and the addresses and the stuff like the $5 and the birthday card? That just seems too authentic, you know? And how the hell did a mailbox post end up in the woods? None of this adds up, and it makes no sense as a prank. No one had touched that thing since 1996. I would swear it, and the chances of anyone finding it ever again are slim to nil. It's not even funny, just creepy and sad. So my question is, what the hell am I supposed to do now? I want to go back, but no one else wants to come with me. No one seems to even care. But what if old Max Henderson is lying dead in the woods somewhere, lost in his own closed-off circular driveway? Or did he and his house really disappear, leaving nothing behind but a mailbox rusting in the middle of the woods? Header's note. A few months ago, Keelan went back there and never returned. Police cited that unfortunately disappearance happened pretty frequently, particularly when experienced hikers go off on a trail like this. Keelan was not an inexperienced hiker. The story has something to do with his disappearance. Thank you for listening to Just a Terror with Nick Guerra. Make sure to check out True Scary Stories with Edie on Tuesdays. Give it five stars. And stay scared, uglies.